brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Soft Rep Radio, on time, on target. Very excited to have Michael Broderick joining us this episode. Michael is a former Marine, uh, actually from really a different generation, I mean, 80s to 90s. Uh, before we get to him, and, and, you know, he's also, I should, of course, mention, uh, on the newest season of True Detective, not, not a main character, but a recurring role, and has been in a lot of other great shows. Um, before we get to him... I do want to mention our sponsor all this month, which is, of course, Pelican Coolers. Hard-sided coolers, all made in the USA. Most competitors, including Yeti, make most of their stuff overseas. They have an actual lifetime warranty, wide variety of sizes and colors, 10 different sizes and 11 different colors. Check out all those color schemes on pelicancoolers.com. Easy to pull, hard latches, that aren't rubber bands like the other guys. Pelican is a trusted brand since 1976. Their 70-quart cooler, which we're kind of envious of because Scott Whitner now has it, uh, can hold ice up to nine days. If you go to the loadout room, you'll see reviews on all this great product. They're light. Other coolers weigh 30% more on average. They have a built-in bottle opener under the lid and ergonomic handles, which make them easier to carry. So, I mean, that's pretty cool that you got this light gear, but that is really going to do the job holding ice up to nine days. Check out pelicancoolers.com. As I've said before, you could buy Pelican Coolers pretty much anywhere, but the website is where you'll be able to use our promo code SOFTREP. And here's what you're going to get with that. Use the coupon code SOFTREP, and you're going to get a free 22-ounce tumbler, which we've been posting on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, add that to your cart. What you do is you go to the drinkware section at the top, go to the tumblers, um, add the 22-ounce one. So then whether you're getting a 70-quart cooler or one of the smaller coolers free with your order, you're going to get that 22-ounce tumbler using the promo code SOFREP. Uh, really excited to have them on board all month. People are loving their products. Um, so go right now, pelicancoolers.com, promo code SOFREP. Add that 22-ounce tumbler as a gift. You're supporting the show, and you're also getting some great gear. All right, with that, um, over the weekend, I was, you know what I reposted, uh, or at least put up on Instagram, was I figured now is a really interesting time to listen or re-listen to the Roger Stone interview that I did with Brandon. Yeah. Uh, we had him on a while back. So it's episode 192. If you go to softreprepradio.com, it's not up on you know that the um, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, I and was all that. Actually, thinking about this over the weekend because you know it, it's just interesting the number of people 
who like you and I have crossed paths with over the years that are caught up in the Mueller investigation. Yeah. And like one by one, they're kind of like going down. We had, uh, we had Eric Flynn, uh, Flynn. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we had Flynn on the podcast. You had Roger Stone on the yes. podcast. I've talked to, um, what's his name? Jerome Corsi. And, uh, there's, there's actually one other strain to this that, somebody or or a connection I'm familiar with who, I mean, I'm just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop because Flynn was also part of back channel communications to another country that is not Russia. And and I'm sure the Mueller investigation must know all about it at this point because they flipped Flynn and he spilled his guts. So he must've told them everything, but I'm just kind of curious to see if any of that's going to come out in the wash. Um, Maybe not because, you know, they're just not interested in that other country. They're interested in uh, in Russia. Yeah. Not um, connected with this, but we did have um, Ryan Zinke on as well right before he became a member of the administration. But I'm just saying the tie to the administration. Right. Not not involved in the Mueller investigation to the best of our of knowledge. Course, I'm not. Um, uh, but he, he, did, he did end up having to resign, didn't yes, he? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it is odd, the uh, number of characters, especially, at least me personally, I don't normally associate with, you <laughs> Criminals, know. Criminals, no. Well, 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 yes, that, but also, like, that, that kind of, like, far-right, uh, you know, Fox News uh, crew yeah. is not really my, uh, my demographic. Um, so I do, I will say, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, I feel differently here because Roger Stone, it's weird, I've, I've talked to him on many occasions, mm-hmm extremely nice guy as long as you're not like on his bad side or anything and i do think the way they arrested him was completely over the top i mean roger stone is not a guy who has a history of violence right and or anything like that he's not being arrested for anything violent and you have all these agents like at his front door opening up the door you know and and also a cnn camera crew how did they get there why were they tipped off they weren't tipped off. There was a CNN person camped out in front of his house. That Every was, night? Yes, that was wow. their job. And, and that's, makes sense, I guess. That's what they do with, like, low-level people um, at news agencies. They will, like, the, it's like the typical new guy job. Like, okay, <laughs> you're going to sit in front of the mayor's house, you know, uh, uh, in case something happens, you know, that kind of thing. So they had someone camped out in front. It's almost like what George Hand has to do with sex trafficking. <laughs> I mean, just to wait there. Surveillance. Yeah. Um, and and I, 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 of course, I agree that it was um, heavy-handed. There's yeah. probably no need to go in there with, like, a fucking SWAT team. But that said, this is what we do in America. I mean, if somebody has, like, a gram of pot, uh, the SWAT team, you know, kicks in the front door and throws a flashbang into the baby's bedroom and shoots the dog. That's like, ridiculous. This is what we do in America. It's not just yeah. Roger Stone, you know, and he's out there whining, oh, I was treated worse than bin Laden. He's like... Okay, it, it, I, I I get it. You know, it, it wasn't necessary what they did, but this has been happening across the country for a long time now. So let's not pretend like poor Roger Stone. He was uh, given some uh, special treatment uh, as punishment or, or some political agenda. I mean, this is the everyday no-knock warrant arrest uh, in the United States. Did you see the video that resurfaced of uh, of him at his house? Uh, saying "arrest me, Mueller." Did you did you see that? Oh no, I didn't see that. Let video. me see if I could. Pull, I'm I'm trying to pull it up on YouTube, but it's funny. Well, what's your impression of Roger Stone just as a person uh, since you've I interacted mean, with he's him? He's definitely 
I, I get. The, I mean, you've seen the same documentary I did. Get me with Roger Stone yeah, yeah. on Netflix. I think it's pretty accurate considering the fact that it wasn't kissing his ass, and at the same time, he was fine with that movie being released. And it doesn't paint him in a flowery way in, in any way, I would say. And he is a guy who I think Republicans go to if they want to run a dirty campaign and they want to dig up dirt on their opponent. And I think the Democrats have those same type of people. Sure, sure. But I don't think he would deny that that's who he is. And oh, I, I, that's why he has that quote of, of, you hate me because I'm effective. If I wasn't effective, you wouldn't hate me. I mean, I think he describes himself as an agent provocateur. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he, in the documentary, I remember him saying something like, I revel in your hatred. Yes, yes. <laughs> there we go. Here's, can I, let me pull yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because I think it's pretty funny. Is it 13? I got to put this on. Wait, let me, I guess it's this one. Sorry. Oh my God, I'm busted, drinking Russian vodka. Mueller, arrest me, libtards. <laughs> <laughs> so people are kind of uh, making fun of the fact that, you know, he made that as a joke, and yes, he did get arrested. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's... um. The only thing you'll really get in trouble with is if you start fucking with um, federal judges. Um, but it's not really advisable to go after lawyers like that are that are kind of in actively investigating you. You know, that's kind of what I was pointing to um, with the uh, with the Eddie Gallagher case and the families attacking the JAG lawyers. Um, it's like, eh. like it's it, it happens all the time, but that actually could come back and um, bite you in the ass at sentencing. Because a lawyer who might show some sympathy towards you at the sentencing, if you've been fucking with them the whole time, they might, you know, just push for the to have the judge throw the book at you. Of course. And he's a guy in the media who's pushing his narrative. So, yeah. Um, so, man, Roger Stone, they're dropping like flies. If, uh, if you want to. Well, I mean, he wasn't he was in the administration, though, for a very short period. Of he time. was uh, Trump's political advisor for like two days. Yeah, I don't actually come to think of I shouldn't say in the administration. He was there. Before he was in the, the campaign. Yeah. That's uh, and he because of the controversies, uh, he became the informal advisor. Yeah. Take that as I, you will. You know, it was funny that. um Howard Stern said I was listening to Howard uh, and this is public knowledge I mean if you watch the documentary uh, actually it was Robin said it on Howard was that someone said this looks like a guy who would pay black men to come to his house and have sex with his wife and then they were like it can't it come turns out that was he actually, actually is true. that kind of yeah. guy I mean it's known that he's a swinger and he you know in the documentary says like I don't think this should have anything to do with my political wife and uh, in a way, I agree. At the same time, Roger Stone is a guy who digs up dirt on people. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, people are going to dig up dirt on he, him. I mean, wasn't it that, like, him and his old lady, they'd hire, like, gay porn people to come over? And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know exactly what he was into, but, I, you know, he was a swinger, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they both swing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's an interesting character, but like I said, a, a very nice guy if you're on his good side. And I loved having him on. And if you listen back to that episode, once again, it's 192. If you go to softwareupradio.com, we had him on when the campaign was, uh, you know, in full headway. And he was talking about Ted Cruz and he was talking about Hillary and all that and why Trump was the man to beat uh, the, to beat Hillary. And very, very early on, he believed 
that Trump was going to go all the way back when people and he's said a, he's crazy. a pal with Alex Jones. Yes, he goes on Infowars. Uh, I remember him on there. And and openly politically, he's very libertarian. Uh, he's very pro marijuana legalization, things like that. Um, and he believed that Trump was the closest thing you were going to get to a libertarian in office. That's why he's not a fan of like the. Um, uh, the religious right, like the Ted yeah. Cruz's, that's not his. That that that's not who he wants well, to see run the so party. So much for that. And also the the Nixon tattoo is making um, yeah headlines again for people who didn't know that he had a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. Jeez. <laughs> um, the other big piece of news, which is actually a lot more serious, uh, that I've seen you um, tweeting about. Is this alleged photo? I want to say no, alleged. no. It's not an alleged photo. How do we how do we know that it's real? It was taken by like an AP photographer. It's confirmed. We know that it's real. Fact? Yes, it is a real photograph. Okay, it's, it's not. It was not photoshopped or anything like that. I will take your word because I saw people on Twitter saying that it's real, but I'm like, how do I know? Yeah, no, I, it's it's an actual photograph, uh, and. It says what Afghanistan opened to peace talks on one line. I think that's what it said. Uh, and then the next one was, yeah, 5,000 troops to Colombia. Uh, and presumably that's about Venezuela. That's what they've been pushing for. John Bolton has been open that all options are on the table. Uh, you know, doing he, he, John Bolton is like LARPing the 2003 <laughs> invasion of Iraq all over again. Like, congratulations old man, you have learned nothing. Uh, and now we're going to go and back the Venezuelan version of the free Syrian army and, uh, and stir this whole shit storm up all over again. At least that's, uh, the direction that he's heading in. It's just so crazy that you have a guy though, who like him or not has been in politics for decades and would openly hold the notepad with very private information. Oh, presumably. I mean, there's, of course, there's going to be the conspiracy theorists out there that, oh, it's misinformation. He's playing 4D chess. Uh, maybe. I mean, you could, it could be that. That's an odd way to go about it, but it could be. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, wasn't thinking about it. And I guess it's also a different time frame in that 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, probably five, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but five to 10 years ago, if you took that photo, you probably wouldn't be able to zoom in and get a clear picture of what was scribbled on a notepad. Nowadays, the cameras are just so much higher resolution than. Yeah, prior. well, there's that. And also, again, before social media, like who was really going to scrutinize all those photographs unless you worked for an intelligence agency? I, I, I mean, but oh, I, I would say if you are a member of the media, let's say CNN camera person, and you, you're able to zoom in on that notepad, they're going to report on that. Yeah, they might. But that even then, what is that? That's like, that's a story on page A7 of the New York Times. You know, yeah. it's not something that not that many people are going to catch on to, probably. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the real story is why do you why would you be holding that information in front of cameras? That's the real story. I mean, he was just writing it down, you know, during whatever uh, event he was at. You know, yeah. I, I was also having some interesting conversations over the weekend about uh, John Bolton and his recent trips to Armenia and Georgia. And he basically he's over there paving the way for Iran, um, trying to secure an air base in Georgia that we can use to project ourselves into Iran. It, it's it's bad shit. All right, well, getting into emails here, it's been a little bit since we got a um, voice memo from our friend Gene Farnsworth. But yeah, Gene comments 
on the recent episode talking about Navy house, uh, military housing. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I shouldn't say Navy because we had a uh, wife of a Marine and wife of an Army special operations veteran or a special operations um, member of the military on. And this is Gene giving his take. All right. He always starts with music. I don't know why. <laughs> Greetings, my shipmates. Gene Farnsworth here, USN, retired. Got to listen to episode 424, discussing the problems with housing throughout our military bases. What a bunch of fucking shit. I remember reading that article a couple weeks ago thinking, oh, my God. As you know, I have family at Bragg, so I'm, I'm glad to see that they have uh, moved off post. I lived in Navy housing for the most part from the time I made E6. Couldn't really get in back in my day before then until I retired as an, as an 03 and uh, didn't have a whole lot of problems. Lived in everything from an old uh, stick-built, no-installation frame house in Hawaii, Holly Koa Naval Housing. We had to put the wet papers in the cracks to keep the wind and the bugs from coming in to some pretty nice housing in some Pacific Beach, California. Uh, one hint I'd like to give the ladies and a place they can look, I'm shocked that the commands have not got industrial hygiene, environmental health on board. They should be doing air samples of those houses. The air samples will show spores. It will show the black mold problem. I just can't believe they haven't done that yet, and I'm guessing they have, and I'm talking out my ass. I'm just glad they're uh, charging away on it. Uh, you know, air samples proves everything, and now all the lawyers, class action, they can get involved, and uh, our military people should goddamn well not have to be living like that. I don't like the idea my uh, son-in-law will get back from deployment here in a few months and can live in housing that's got black mold and make my uh, grandkids sick whenever they come along. Just thought I'd throw my two cents out there. Once again, I, I love what uh, Soft Rep's doing, and I hope they continue for years to come. May you continue to have fair winds and following seas. Gene out. All right. Well said by Gene. Yeah, thanks, Gene. The air samples thing, I would I would guess they probably have, considering um, we've retweeted it out. They have, they have photos of the actual mold. Yeah. Um, they seem to be... They're doing their due diligence. They are. Uh, they are definitely chipping away at this hard at work. Um, all kinds of different stuff going on, and I can only imagine. I, I think it's only a matter of time before the lawsuits start hitting yeah. on this. And and I saw that I think it was um, Lee retweeted or tweeted something out about Marco Rubio not going after Corvius, but going after. Um, another uh, yes. yeah, another private company that runs on post housing. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get in touch with Senator Marco Rubio, talk to him about this. It, you know, I think it would. Uh, unfortunately, in politics, people do do things because it makes them look good. Yeah. Helps, and I, I think it would make them look good. I think this is something Democrats and Republicans could easily get behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm working on another um, story where uh, Christine Gillibrand is involved. Um, so Our I mean, senator, yeah, Kier, Kirsten Gillibrand. Yes, sorry, Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, so you take these things wherever you can get them. You know, of course, if, uh, why not? If, anytime politicians are gonna willing to help out, uh, you know, our military members or military families. I mean, it's uh, certainly a bipartisan issue. It easily. should. It should be. It should be. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you updated as we learn more, and maybe we'll have both of those ladies back on if there's like a major update yeah, yeah, or a lawsuit. Sure. Um, 
We have two more great emails sent to softrep.radio at softrep.com. Actually, a lot more than two. You know, keep them coming. We get to what we can, but these were two really good ones. Um, I'll get to this first one from Paul. Um, and I have no idea if you have information on this, but why not get to it? Uh, hey, Ian and Jack, I'm a longtime listener of SoftRep Radio and am a newly certified EMT. I'm working towards going to medical school and want to eventually serve. I recently found out about the Special Operations Surgical Team, SOST. The information about SOST is very limited online and would love to hear some firsthand experience from members of those teams. I'm really interested in learning the selection training pipeline, types of missions, scope of practice, and any other resources to check out. Thanks for all the good work you guys do at SoftRep Radio and Hurricane Group. Paul Carey. So I don't know if you know anything about them or uh, have any friends in the so community. SOST is a new acronym for me, but I believe I know what he's talking about. There, that that I believe it's an endeavor that you know back in my day it was it was under a different acronym, um, and what that was was basically an endeavor to basically bring surgeons on target with you, um, or, or as close to target as they could get. So you have a guy who you know, could presumably, uh, you know, conduct brain surgery on target if a guy got shot. Mm. Um, and uh, some of those guys are highly trained. They'd have, um, you know, highly mobile um, surgery rooms. I mean, I'm sure there's a more technical um, explanation of, of that and how it works. But, yeah, those, I mean, my understanding was that, you know, they were the elite of the elite of the of a medical field, um, and they would go into, um, you know, forward operating bases, if not go actually out on operations. Well, if you know anybody in the community, maybe we could have them on, because we haven't had anyone on from yeah, that field. There's not, We've had there, medics on. There's but. not many, but um, I do know one person who is a medic, I think, in that unit. I, I can ask around. Sounds good. Uh, well, thanks for the email. Um, here's another one from Tim. Good morning, gents. I spent 15 active and have 22 years altogether with the Coast Guard, most of which was spent with DSF, Deployable Specialized Forces. First, I love the show. Second, I wanted to chime in on the social media film everything mania you guys were talking about. <laughs> I've been a police officer in a big, nasty city since I left active duty in 2013. And I have to tell you that since we were mandated to wear body cameras, it has made my job exponentially easier. The miscreants I arrest can't clean up, can't clean up and then show up for trial in their Sunday best and win over a jury because we have the footage showing them acting a fool or motherfucking us the whole time. <laughs> the, the only drawback is that if I get uh, fucking smoke checked in the grape, it will be on YouTube in days and my kids can watch me get murdered. Very true. Uh, long short is that even though these asshats can film us doing our job, thanks to our technology, they can no longer twist what really happened. Keep up the great work, Tim. Very yeah. good point. Yeah, no, that is a fair point. Um, it definitely goes both ways. You know, uh, there's certainly police abuse out there, but at the same time, there are a lot of bad guys out there who want to accuse the police of harassment or whatever else. Uh, you know, uh, the kid of a friend of mine actually is a lawyer um, who works here in New York City, and they um, were, my understanding was they were very far left, and then they took this job where they have to actually go through and like vet all of these claims against the police and mm -hmm. see like which are real and what's re what's really going on. And uh, this, this lawyer has not experienced a complete political change of heart, but but understands that like 
you know, 99 out of 100 of these claims are just total bullshit. Yeah. And it's get thrown right out of court. Understandably, man. And uh, I, I do think, it, you know, it has a lot to do with the culture of, of this is who the police are. And of, and every single sector of America is going to have these guys. Yeah. But and, it's, and, and this is what makes headlines. Also, yeah. And also, so. if you're a criminal, uh, you don't really like the police putting a boot in your ass. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so and, and the the way you have to retaliate against the police officer is to, you know, say, you know, he used excessive force or he sexually assaulted me or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, And I certainly don't say that to excuse any sort of, you know, illegal behavior that police officers might engage in. But a lot of times it's just bullshit, fictitious claims. Sure. Um, We'll keep the emails coming to softrep.radio at softrep.com. We get to everything that we can. I actually just yesterday sent out uh, the softrep radio tumbler coffee mug to a, uh, listener so maybe we'll do another giveaway soon um sent him some crate club stuff as well uh if you guys are into it we'll, we'll do another giveaway i mean who doesn't like free cool stuff so uh i'm i'm all for it i guess uh, another quick thing to mention <laughs> that's not really important or anything but since we have a few minutes before we get to michael was i got sent <laughs> by so many people that dennis rodman uh rickroll video which i can't really play on here it's really more visual than audio but you know the whole Rick Roll thing with Rick Astley, uh, never going to give you yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a video with Dennis Rodman. So of course I got sent it by a lot of listeners of the show. Was it like a parody video? Yeah, I, I I mean I could show you it. It doesn't it doesn't really work audibly. So you guys might want to check it out yourself. But anytime Dennis Rodman does something like in the news. I get tweeted at my <laughs> listeners, which I like. I mean, it's just, it's not like I'm the biggest Dennis Rodman fan in the show, but it's just, it's be, uh, in the no, world. You're but it's definitely become, the biggest Dennis Rodman fan on this on show. On the show, correct. Yeah, but not in the world, but I, it's just become uh, anything with this guy gets attached to me now. Uh, so if you, you guys should probably want to check it out um, online because it's really more of a, uh, there we go. It's really more. Oh, and he's holding up visual than audible thing. Says, I want to get something off my chest. Something that's bothered me for a very long time. By the way, 50,000 retweets. Really, 60,000. And I'm finally ready to reveal it. I hope you will still accept who I am. <laughs> it is great i i, I want to get him on the show still i've i've reached out to his team i don't know i i'm gonna keep trying i would love to get him on i mean we've we've gotten some pretty big names on we've, like i said roger stone why can't we get dennis rodman true we should be able to at, at some point it'll hopefully happen keep pushing for it oh and then the last thing i want to tell you about uh <laughs> is i had i don't know if you'd call it a dream or a nightmare last night <laughs> that you were you were involved in. This is like the biggest nightmare when you work in in radio or the, this podcast. And I don't know why I had it. Maybe just other stress I was under because this has not happened in a good two years or something. But I had a dream that we were we recorded the intro for this podcast, and then I was like, "Dude, 
nothing recorded, which used to be the <laughs> worst thing. Now we're in a setup that's kind of foolproof. I'm able to see the levels and all that. But as you know, in the history of the show, it's happened, it's happened I think, twice, I think. Yeah, I think it may even be three times. And the times that it happened, it, w- it is the worst feeling in the world where I would pl- where I would put in the audio file into, I actually still use Acid Pro just because it's what I learned on. I know it's an old program. And you see that flat line of audio. And I, I've had times where I've just paced around my block going like, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. Like, and how do I call Jack? And then, you know, when it happened to Marty Scovland after he recorded like two hours of material, I, it's like, that one, yeah. I feel like such an asshole calling Marty. It's the worst feeling in the world. I think it's just other stress I was under that made me think of this, but I, that's what I had a dream about. Dude, I, uh, <laughs> I had a dream the other night where I, I, I was like 16 again, And I was like going to some like private school, military academy or something like that. And I woke up. I was like, Benny, I had a dream. (laughs) And I told my wife about it. And she's like, Jack, that's not a dream. That's a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what happened? Is there something terrible that happened? No, you know, I think for just for me, it was like this uh, like flashback to like I never went to a military school or a military academy, but it's like this flashback to like I'm starting all over again. Yeah, I think there's a part of the dream where like I had to go to ranger school. You know, it's like stuff that you probably wouldn't want to do all over again, <laughs> you know, and you knew that you did it already in your dream. It was like it's like my subconscious, you know, it's, it's these like memories coming back to haunt me like, oh, my God. It really is is weird the whole dream analysis thing. I, sometimes I do wake up and I'll you know write down what I'm dreaming. It's also because I'm uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I do take this supplement called ZMA, which is like zinc magnesium. It's nothing. Oh yeah, crazy. it helps you sleep. It it does help you sleep, but it's not really a sleep supplement. It's you know it, it, there's a lot of benefits. If you guys ever want to look it up, Vic, Victor Conti, who's been on uh, Joe Rogan's show, is the founder of it who was also arrested for the whole, like, steroid thing going on in the NFL, but he's a super smart guy. Uh, And this was a supplement he created, and I'm totally sold on it. But anyway, for people who are like, oh, it's placebo, it doesn't work, you have completely vivid dreams on that stuff that I've I've never had when I'm not taking it. I usually don't remember my dreams, so it's kind of interesting. When uh, when I was in the Army, I used to have the dream where, uh, you know, um, parachuting uh, and my parachute doesn't open. So it'd be like a, oh, it'd be like a halo jump. So like I'm pulling my uh, main ripcord grip, parachute doesn't deploy. So I cut away, pull my reserve ripcord grip, that doesn't work. And like I'm going through all the oh, like man. different uh, types of like contingency checks. See, like try to get my parachute to work. I just can't get my parachute out, no matter what I do. I have like a total malfunction, and then somehow I end up on the ground, and uh, and I'm being attacked by the enemy, and I'm shooting my gun, and it jams. My rifle jams, so I go through the, in the army they call it sports. So you're going through like your corrective measures, yeah. uh, trying to fix the gun. It, it just will not unjam. It will not fire. And um, and now uh, later on, I'd have the civilian version of that dream when I went to college, and I still have to this day sometimes, where you wake up, it's time for the final exam, and you forgot to study, which is like very common for yeah, college students sure. to have. So it's like, yeah, I, I've ha- I have both of those. It's the same. It's the same kind of performance anxiety <laughs> for the military for college. I think. And you probably have those like night sweats when you wake up from that. I've like, oh my that, god! Yeah. Do you ever? <sighs> since you said it's a halo jump, I've had I've had dreams that involve like car accidents or stuff like that. Do you feel like you're literally falling into your bed? I've had that before where I wake up and I feel like I was thrown right into my bed. 
No, I never had that, but I'll tell you what was super fucking creepy. Uh, was this is the first time it ever happened to me about a year ago where um, I woke up, I was having a nightmare, and I woke up and I absolutely thought I was awake, but I was still in the nightmare. Holy shit. And yeah. it kept going. And then I woke up and then I finally woke up for real. This is like inception. Yeah. And it, <laughs> and it took me, I laid in bed, no shit for like 10 minutes, just like making sure like, am I really awake this time? I've sort of had that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've also experienced throughout my life. I've had sleep paralysis. I've never uh, had that. You've mentioned that. To yeah. Me. I've had sleep paralysis maybe 20 or 30 times, Holy shit. which I've life. heard the first time you experience it is like, and, uh, I, I've read that it, only happens to most people once in an entire lifetime, if at all. Some people and may say PTSD. If I, I even had it, I even had times. it when I was a kid. Oh, okay, yeah, and I, and I haven't had it in quite a while. I think when I was living in my last apartment, so like maybe the last time it happened was like a year, a year and a half ago. Um, but yeah, I've had it quite a bit, and my my sister has had it also quite a bit. Hmm. So I don't know if it's genetic or what. Interesting. Well. If you guys have any weird sleep analysis uh, stuff you want to mention, send it to softrep.radio at softrep.com. I find this to be a fascinating topic. But uh, with that, Michael Broderick, I know, is standing by. I'm really excited to talk to yeah, him. Yeah, me too. Uh, interesting background, and I, I would never think that this guy was in the military from when I was born. He he looks young, so. Yeah, he does, but he's, uh, he's like 50, but he does look like still uh, in his 30s, maybe. Yep, I agree. Joining us for the first time on Software Radio, Michael Broderick. There's so much that I want to get into, uh, but just to give some background, his latest role is Special Agent John Bounin, which is a recurring character on True Detective, the newest season, season three. He's also been in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, NCIS, SEAL Team, a whole bunch of other shows. And the connection with our shows, he served as a Marine from 1986 to 1990 as a logistics uh, specialist with Marine Light Attack Helicopter Squadron 167. A uh, lot of great stuff to get into. That, that, and I'm also a huge fan of True Detective. <laughs> that too, yes. <laughs> so uh, excited to have you on for the first time. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really, uh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so I think before we even get into True Detective, I, I think the audience might want to know your background as a Marine. Uh, as I said, I, I would never think just looking at your picture that you served from 86 to 90, you look a lot younger. Uh, but that's when, uh, I mean, 1986 is when I was born. So there's a huge age gap there. But that's wow. that's cool, man. I mean, you've, you've lived an interesting life from this to acting. So maybe if we can get into the origin of uh, the military career. Well, you know, I, I look so good because of all that clean living, man. Marine Corps <laughs> keeps you young, I, I guess, for nice. those four years. Uh, but I joined when I was seventeen, so um, you know, I was I was even young going in. But um, uh, yeah, I, I joined uh, right after my um, senior year in high school. I actually, actually joined during my senior year and, and got in on the uh, delayed entry program. Uh, so November of '85, I signed up, and uh, then I spent the summer at home because I, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. So uh, you know, I didn't want to leave right after school. Where, where in um, Jersey? A little town called Spring Lake. It's on the, on the shore down by Asbury Park. Ah, okay, cool. I used to uh, spend summers down at like Seaside and some of those other places. Yep, yep. Sure, yeah, I know Seaside. We go to you know they had a good water slide down there, so we'd uh, we go down there every once in a while. And many years before the show, Jersey Shore. So. Yes, yes. We were the locals, though. They were all uh, what we would call Bennies. 
Bennies were the, uh, the people that would come down from New York or other places in North Jersey to uh, to invade our shore every every year. Uh, so I joined uh, I joined uh, and, and went in September of of eighty uh, six, and uh, you know did boot camp over at Paris Island, and then uh, went out to, to school in, in Little Creek, in Virginia, and then hit the fleet uh, and. Uh, Matched up with HMLA-167. Did a med float with uh, HMM-264, you know, composite squadron. And, uh, yeah, man, did a couple of CACs. That's about the extent of it. <clears throat> but had a great time. And, and uh, it really kind of, um, you know, my time in the Marine Corps definitely uh, taught me that I can do whatever I put my mind to. You know, I always used to say, uh, you know, whatever I was trying to do, whether it was get into music or, or later get into acting, people would be like, oh, you know, it's really hard. I'm like, well, they, they can't send me back to boot camp. So, uh, you know, yeah, I kind of I felt like, you know, if I uh, got through that, and then I can uh, pretty much do anything. Was it in your back of your mind already that you thought you might pursue an acting career? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up, uh, like I said, on the Jersey Shore. I did a lot of um, community theater and things like that. Uh, and I wanted to be an actor. And, and since I was 17 when I joined, I had to get my parents' permission. And my dad was not, uh, he wasn't really uh, enthusiastic about me joining the Marines. And because uh, I was a little guy, I was like 130 pounds, you know, and like five foot 10, I was like a string bean. And uh, so he, he tried to talk me out of it by saying, he's like, look, John Wayne, so I'm going to do an impression of my father. He's like, John Wayne was in every American war. And he never served in the military, right? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I'm gonna join. <laughs> so he couldn't, uh, he couldn't dissuade me, and and uh, and he ended up signing the papers. But yeah, I absolutely wanted to be an, an actor before that. I figured I'd do my four, get out, and then uh, go to Los Angeles and and uh, and become an actor. But it just it took me uh, another decade and a half, I guess, to to get that done. Well, um, how did it end up panning out? Well, it's funny. When I got out of the Corps, I went to New York City. I moved to New York City and, and decided I'd, I'd pursue it there, but really didn't know what I was doing. I did some stand-up comedy for a little while, just because that was something you could, if you brought two friends, you could get on stage right then, you know, uh, at least at the open mic night. So I, was, I did that for a little while, but that's a really tough gig, and it wasn't, uh, I wasn't cut out for that. Um, and then I met a guy who was putting together a band, and I'd played in bands in high school and, and in the Marines even. And then, uh, you know, we, we decided we were going to bring punk back in 92. But unfortunately, nobody was getting signed out of New York back then. And, uh, uh, you know, and then Green Day hit and uh, The Offspring and all these other bands. And, and we said, you know what, we're missing this boat. But we gave it our best shot for about 10 years. Um, I met my wife while playing uh, at CBGB in 1998. And... Um, and uh, we got married in 2000, uh, and then 9-11 happened, and uh, I was kind of like, I don't know, you know, like when somebody drops a, a building on a, on a bunch of people in your town, it kind of makes you reevaluate things. Um, and so I started flirting with the idea of, of acting again, because I don't know if you remember, at the time, Band of Brothers was, was on HBO. It had just it had just started before nine eleven I think, and uh, and I became really engrossed in that and just uh, I mean I, I continue to say to this day it's it's one of the finest things ever put to film, um, 
but it had a huge impact on me. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about being an actor again. Uh, I got into doing some voiceover stuff and uh, kind of exiting the music world. And um, then when I heard they were doing The Pacific, I guess it was about 2003 that I heard that uh, HBO was going to do The Pacific on the Marines. And I was like, I got I to gotta go be in this. So 2004... My wife and I had just bought a, an apartment in, on, on right off Bleecker Street in Manhattan, and our son was about a year old, and I was like, you know what, I really got to go do this. Um, I sat my wife down at the kitchen table, and I said, look, honey, uh, I think I want to go be an actor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and she had, you know, she had an excellent job. I was working uh, doing voiceover stuff, so I'd already made a, you know some inroads. And my wife's always been a big believer in, in, in me. And, and uh, so after some discussion, she was like, all right, if that's what you want to do, let's let's go do it. So she quit her job. We sold the apartment, which we just bought, and uh, and we moved out to Los Angeles in 2004. I think that's so cool to have someone so supportive there because it reminds me of uh, we've had Brad Thor on the podcast before, and he spoke about how he was doing other things and his wife asked him, like, you know, what's your dream yeah, that you want to do? Job. Yeah, and he was like, I want to publish a fiction book. And she's like, well, you got to get out there and fucking do it. And, yeah. and and he actually did it. And I feel like most people's stories are the opposite, unfortunately. Like their partner says to them, you know, like, yeah, the, you know, that's a dream. You got to do something stable. Or, or they themselves kind of put that, like, cap on their uh, expectations. Yeah, and, and also, you know, I, understandably, they'll be like, you have a kid now. It's not about you you got to go for the money, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, uh, well, it's one of the reasons I married her. Um, I think she, uh, she, her first taste of me, she'll tell you, is when I was, you know, playing guitar on stage. So uh, she, she, uh, I guess she, she saw something. She saw some talent or something. Uh, and then when I got, you know, I started breaking into to voiceover pretty quickly. Uh and then, so it wasn't out of the, you know, completely out of the realm of possibilities. Like, you know what? I might be able to do this. Um, now, of course, then we moved out to Los Angeles and, yeah, I couldn't even get an audition for the Pacific <laughs> because I didn't have any kind of resume, you know. Uh, but now looking back, I'm like, well, now I'm an actor. So, you know, I guess I guess I got the job done. And they're, they're like just totally different ecosystems, too, as far as the entertainment industry is concerned between New York and L.A. Yeah, I didn't really tuck into it very much in in, uh, in New York. I didn't really start my on camera stuff, film and television until I was out here. But I did crack the, um, you know, the voiceover world out there. That's why I started my, you know, doing commercial voiceover and things. Um, and so I had a decent income coming in through that anyway which which definitely helped uh and then when we sold our apartment it was uh you know we made we made a nice chunk of change on that even though we weren't even in there very long the, the real estate market was crazy in new york at the time so that gave us a nice little buffer when we came out to to los angeles and and got a house and and uh had some money to 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 live off while we uh you know while i got my feet under me would you consider this your biggest role yet? Because, like I said, you've been in The People versus O.J. Simpson, NCIS, but this is a recurring role and, and could lead to something bigger maybe in season four. Yeah, this is absolutely the biggest thing I've done so far. Um, you know, there are different 
I don't know if you're familiar with the with the hierarchy of of, of television or film roles uh, in television. You know, you get a co-star role. I've got a slew of those, which is basically you know, you work one episode, you have a couple of lines, whatever. Um, like in uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson, I play a reporter who comes up to Johnny Cochran. We banter a little bit, and that's that. Uh, and that's that was most of my career. It was you know showing up for one episode. I'm a I'm a you know, an FBI agent here, or I'm a sheriff deputy here, or whatever. Um, that's the the main body of my work. Uh, it wasn't until you know doing it for several years and kind of getting, uh, kind of feeling feeling like I'd plateaued and and not understanding why, not getting better opportunities, that I decided to go back into training. And so, uh, you know, I, I got with a, a great teacher. His name's John. His name is John Lacey, and we uh, we have a group of actors, the Lacey group, that gets together on Tuesday nights, and we we work out. You know, it's like going to the gym. You do scenes together. You trade impulses. You stay sharp. And um, I started working with him with the specific goal of getting a guest star, which is the next level up. Uh, and after working with him a year. Uh, I got my first guest star audition, and then within six months after that, I got my first guest star role, and that was on NCIS. Uh, and then I've continued to um, kind of build up from there. And this is my first uh, uh, recur- heavy recurring role. Um, you know, I think uh, several episodes, at least four. I think I think it'll be five once once the whole thing is all said and done. Depends how they cut it, but. Um, this was a huge deal for me. Uh, this is a, this is definitely a game changer. Uh, not only for because it's such a it's such a prestige property for HBO and 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 it's really well respected, but also because of the uh, you know the FaceTime I have on it and there's a lot of eyeballs on this show. So uh, you know I hope to capitalize on some of that momentum. Yeah, I mean, True Detective is probably like my favorite show on TV. Um, and it's just known for having, you know, it combines a star power and just like very strong writing, very high quality production values. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I should mention though, because there's, uh, you know, every every season it's a entirely new cast and new story and new location. So, so I won't be back for season four, but. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at this as just a, a phenomenal experience. I mean, working alongside Mahershal Ali and and Stephen Dorff was uh, was crazy. Actually, I don't know if you saw the the latest episode just aired the other night. Um, we we tried. To, I'm not going to lie. We tried to get HBO to send us some stuff, and they seem to be holding. Yeah, back, they're so like, nope. We haven't gotten a chance <laughs> to watch it. That's all right. That's all right. Episode four. There's no. I'm not giving any spoilers or anything. I'm just. I just want to have an anecdote about it. There's a uh, one scene in there where you know um, my character John Bowen. He uh, he's part of a four man task force. You have the two local uh, detectives played by uh, Mahershala and, and Steven, and then myself and Tim Griffin, we play the two feds who come down to uh, to assist in, in the investigation. And there's a one scene in episode four where we're going over all the evidence we've collected so far. And and uh, uh, while we were shooting that, it, I think it was, it was like the second thing I, I shot. Uh, you know, they shoot all this stuff out of sequence. Um, and I'm sitting there across from Mahershala Ali, and I'm like... I had a flashback in between takes. I had this flashback to sitting across from my wife and dreading the the thing I was about to say to her, like, how's she going to react when I say, look, I want you to quit your job and let me go try to chase this dream. Uh, 
And I said to myself, wow, now I'm sitting across from a, from a freaking Oscar winner and I'm waiting for the director to say action. You know, um, it was, it was a, it was a real great moment. I kind of got to sit there with that, with that energy and, and, uh, and kind of bring that to some of my performance. Um, so that was very special to me. It's pretty cool. And I, I mean, your story really is just one of kind of like doing the legwork, you know, and starting like from, you said, voiceovers to, you know, graduating your way upwards to doing this. And, it, you know, it, it seems like it took a lot of hard work over a long period of time. Well, it's you definitely, you know, uh, you pay your dues. I mean, you know, you look at you look at most of the actors, you know, right now, uh you see them, you know. If you if you do your homework, you see that you see them in smaller roles going back for years. You just didn't know who the heck they were. Uh, I mean, look at you know the great Brian Brian Cranston. You're like, okay, we kind of got to know him with Malcolm in the Middle, and then you know Breaking Bad was huge, and now he's just killing it. So you know, so many great performances under his belt. But then you know you're watching Saving Private Ryan, and you're like, oh, geez, he's the one armed. Uh, Colonel or whatever his rank was in the uh, in the in the office when uh, when they when the the typist finds all the um, the letters about the James Ryan or James Ryan's brothers being all killed and they bring him to the general and he and he reads that that letter from Abraham Lincoln and you're like Brian Cranston had like two lines in Saving Private Ryan I didn't I, I didn't even know he was in the movie I'm telling you go back and watch it you know that's him paying his dues. Um, uh, and there's so many, you know, I mean, you could just run down the list. There's so many stories like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the trajectory of my career so far. And I, uh, every job I've gotten has been, you know, just a building block for me. And so, um, I'm happy to have put in the time I've been doing this. I guess I got my first job. It was on 24 in 2006. And uh, I've just been kind of building my career since then. It's super cool, and I hope uh, a lot of other veterans hear this podcast because I know a lot of our guys, they do kind of uh, drift over to Hollywood and pursue, if not acting, some other, uh, you know, something else in production or something else in the entertainment industry. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm part of uh, VME, which is uh, Veterans in Media and Entertainment. Um, I think now we're about, gosh, 3,000 members strong across the country. Uh, the 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 main hub is here in Los Angeles, and and I, I was fortunate enough to be sitting at the at at, at the table when um, uh, Mike Dowling and Kyle Hausman Stokes, a Marine veteran and Army veteran respectively, uh, had the idea to put the thing together, and they called some um, you know I had had a little bit of success, and and uh, they called some veterans that they knew had already gotten their foot in the door, and about a dozen of us sat around a table and 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 hashed the idea out. Um, <clears throat> but they those two those two fellas uh you know did all the the legwork and standing it up uh they've since moved on from the organization but um it's uh, it's just grown and grown and it's uh, been a great um support system i think for not only for me but for a lot of veterans here in hollywood what do you think are some of the opportunities out there for veterans in hollywood or maybe either, even in television elsewhere um, as far as, you know, the, we're making an awful lot of war flicks nowadays. I mean, are there some pretty good opportunities out there for actors or technical advisors and things like that who actually come from the veteran community? Well, I, I don't think there's any greater um, opportunity. I mean, the fact is, if, if this is the reason I'm doing this is because I, I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. 
You know what I mean? Um, if, I mean, that's why I got into music. It's why I got, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to be an entertainer as long as, uh, as long as I've lived. I, I've wanted to, to um, have an effect on people through whatever art form, you know, I, I was doing, uh, whether that's music or, or, or acting. So, um, I think the opportunity is just as, uh, available to anybody, but there's certainly a lot of, um, military based, uh, projects out there. I mean, look at SEAL Team on CBS, Tyler Gray. I don't know if you know Tyler. He's, uh, you know, he's a former operator and he's a producer on the show. He has a role on the show. He's like the technical advisor on the show. Um, and he's just crushing it. He brings in, or, well, I should say the show brings in a lot of veterans to, uh, you know, not only do stunts and roles on the show, but in all aspects of, of uh, production. So, um, yeah, I guess to your question, is there a, there are plenty of opportunities for anybody, but now is certainly a good time uh, if if you're if you have a certain skill set to um, to to give it a shot. You know, if that's really what you want to do. I was actually going to ask about the the vets groups you're a part of because I also saw that you're a member of Vets Seen on TV. And that you guys raised ten thousand dollars for Gallant Few, who we're familiar with in uh, Run Ranger Run. We've had Carl Monger on before, yeah, yeah. and Michael Schlitz, who's Carl in our is Run Ranger man. Run. Yeah, Mike Schlitz in- introduced me to Gallant Few. I was uh, uh, I volunteer with um, UCLA Operation Mend, which is um, a- an organization out here that uh, a program that that does plastic surgery for for uh, military members who are like severely wounded. You know, some like Mike Schlitz. He's had a, over eighty operations, I think. Um, and uh, and uh, I act as a, a buddy, basically. When when somebody has an operation coming up, they're usually in from out of town. They don't have any family with them, oftentimes. And so there's a lot of down, downtime, pre-op or post-op. So I, I just act as a you know a friend who can come by. We'll go to dinner. We'll go to a movie. You know, I'll take him to I don't know meet you know. I'll take him over to meet Gary Sinise or, 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 you know, if I, if I can call somebody in my Rolodex and, and they can take some time, which Gary is always uh, great. Uh, as you guys know, I'm sure he, he does a ton for, for the military and veterans. Uh, but anyway, Mike introduced me to Gallant Few and early on, I was just so impressed with their model because uh, I, I, at the time there wasn't another one like it, that, that one-on-one peer to peer mentorship. Uh, and it really has changed a lot of lives. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen on social media just posts saying, Carl Monger saved my life. Um, and sorry, I get, you know, I, I even get a little emotional talking about this. I think, um, they've had a, a profound impact on, uh, on the veteran community. And so, uh, you know, I was, I did a project for them years ago, back in 2012, called the poster project where i got a, a a movie poster of band of brothers and it was signed by uh six of the original easy company veterans and i then i went around and i and i collected signatures from 30 cast and crew you know including damian lewis and ron livingston steven spielberg tom hanks uh and that took me like 15 months. I got to go around Hollywood and, and try to connect with all these cast members. It was really, it, it was cool. And we ended up auctioning it off uh, to, to benefit Gallant View. And Carl then Carl then asked me to sit on the board of directors. So I, I, I did that for a few years. I uh, recently 
took a step away from that uh, just to focus on some other things, but I continue to support them. And one of the ways we support that is obviously their annual fundraiser, uh, Run Ranger Run. So Vets Seen on TV is a team that I put together. I started doing it last year, and this is the second year we're doing it, of just, uh, you know, other vet myself and other veterans that, that uh, work in the industry, you know, that are actors, um, we'll, we, we form a 10-person team, and we go out and do the miles in February. You know, it's 565 miles for a team, and, uh, and we raise money. <clears throat> so we're doing that again, kicking off February 1st. This year's team is awesome. Uh, there's myself, there's uh, Vinny Rocco Vargas, you know, from um, Range 15, right? And he's on the Mayans MC now. Uh, Aaron Williamson, who is uh, is a marine, a bodybuilder, and uh, and an actor. Do you ever uh, do you ever see that um, that video that went viral of J.K. Simmons, where he's all like blasted out, like totally shredded in the gym? You know, who J.K. Simmons is the actor who played like J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider Man. Yeah, movies. but I, I'm not familiar with the video you're talking about. Oh my gosh, there's like photos and videos. You, you look up J.K. Simmons ripped, and uh, and um, Aaron Aaron is his trainer. You know. He's gotten a lot of guys in shape for, for film and television. Anyway, Hiram Murray, Tim Abel, who's an Army Ranger, Jen Marshall, Alan Petruchewski, Dave Meadows, Leapy Kim, and James uh, James Leung is our team this year. And these are all folks that have been on, like, Stranger Things, Hawaii Five-0, um, SEAL Team, you know, uh, a lot of great shows and, and films. So, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we have a, you know, we have a, we're all over social media is uh, Vets on TV. We're on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So uh, if you want to, if folks want to keep up with us and pick your favorite uh, veteran actor, then, uh, you know, you can go to our Run Ranger Run page and drop a donation if you feel like it. It all goes to the great mission of, uh, it goes to the mission of, of serving our veterans, you know, our transitioning veterans through Gallant Few. Yeah. You know, it's great to see that you're a part of that. And it really is a small world that we know some of these same people. And that's a great thing to be able to be there for someone going through a surgery who doesn't have family in the area. Um, actually, since we're on you know, that subject, I know another topic that you're passionate about from looking at your social media is autism, being the father of a child with autism. Uh, I, I should tell you this, which is kind of interesting. You might not know this connection. Uh, another former Marine we've had on the show and a, form, and a punk rocker is C.J. Ramon from the Ramones. Uh, his his child is autism, who I've you know met before, who's a lot older now, but a great story he told on the show is that he turned down that role as the bass player for Metallica um, when Jason Newstead left the band because his son was young at the time, and he was like, look, I want to be there for my son who has special needs, and you know he, he doesn't yeah. regret it. Oh, not at all. I mean, uh, when, when I first came out here to Los Angeles in 2004 is when my son was diagnosed. And uh, so that was a, uh, you know, it's, it, it changes your perspective again, you know, again, uh, and your priorities shift. And so um, at the time when my wife uh, had went back to work, she, she was able to, to stay at home with him for a while, which was great. But then, you know, when she went back to work, I was basically, you know, half time in it. Um, uh, I, you know, I was, I was only, I was only able to pursue my career until he was done with school. And so, uh, we had to make that work. And then later on, it was very fortunate that my in-laws came and, and, and lived with us. They can, they're still with us now. Uh, and that, uh, allowed me to, to really go after my career. And, and I've made some, uh, some great le leaps forward because of that. 
my son's 16 now, though. My son's 16, and, and he's just fantastic. I mean, you know, he's uh, just a funny kid, so smart and uh, awesome personality, and he's just uh, he's a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. I think CJ's uh, son is right around that same age, give or take a year. And I, if I remember correctly, speaks multiple languages, very bright kid. And, you know, it definitely smashes that stereotype of autism for people who are ignorant of uh, what it is, because it doesn't mean you're right. any less intelligent, sometimes more intelligent. I mean, I, I remember actually working with a guy when I worked at Tower Records who had Asperger's and, and he was like an encyclopedia for music. <laughs> you asked him any question and, and he was able to tell you, you know, the in and outs of it if it involved music. Yeah, I think that's awesome that he was able to, uh, you know, apply his his interest and knowledge into his work. You know, I think that's that's the key for anyone who who thinks differently. I think, uh, like my son has a lot of interest right now. We're trying to figure out. He, you know, he's a junior in high school. He's going to graduate uh, the year after. So I guess next year for 2019. So next year he'll graduate. Um, and you know, we're trying to figure out. What does he, what does he want to do? Uh, but but like you said, when he, or at least with with my son and, and I guess with CJ's son, when he has particular interests, that becomes everything. You know, like right now he could tell you he could tell you anything about Australia. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's literally. I think he wants to move to Australia. He talks about marrying an Australian girl so he can get citizenship and, and move there. He's like, it doesn't mean I don't love America. I'm like, okay, better not. <laughs> what, what if he wanted to to go to college and like study abroad in Australia? Would, would he be able to do that? Or do you? You know, it's so funny. We we just we just talked about that the other day. My wife was saying, you know, she's like, "Oh my god, I I, I wouldn't know what I'd do." You know, like we, he would say it, and we'd like laugh about it. But then we're like, he could go do that. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, so it's it's you know, look for any parent, it's scary when your kids start to get to that age where they're they're going to be independent. Um, so, well, if, if you want to if you want to scare him back to the United States, you can turn back the uh, time to a few podcasts previously where we had a Australian military diver on, <laughs> and during an exercise, he got attacked by a shark and um, lost a hand in his okay. leg. That's Oh, that's that's terrible. But that's for my son. That's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he I mean, he turned out OK. He uh, he went back on active duty and he's doing great now. Um, that's outstanding. Yeah. yeah. My son is it loves sharks. That's his whole thing. He loves sharks. Um, I think that's why he loves Australia. We, we actually got to go there this past year and, and we uh, snorkeled the Great Barrier Reef. And at one point we're on the boat. Uh, having lunch in between uh, snorkels and uh, there's like five or six black tip reef sharks like around the back of the boat and these are good like three four footers kids right in the water and like uh, like you know and and of course the the, as soon as people started getting the water the sharks took off but I'm like I'm thinking now you know I I had to get in instantly of course and um, but he's like no 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 they did they're, they're reef sharks. They just they just eat little fish. They don't attack people. And like knowledge is power for this kid. You know he knows uh, he knows all these things about the sharks and marine life. And now you know seven of the eight world's eight most poisonous snakes are in Australia. I'm learning all kinds of crazy stuff, which is <laughs> which is awesome. 
That is that is interesting because the the people that I have met with um, autism or Asperger's that does seem to be a recurring theme is that they have a fascination in something and they become extremely knowledgeable about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, these are great causes that you're a part of. Um, you know what else I wanted to ask you about? Uh, just getting back to the show itself is you playing yeah. Special Agent John uh, Bowen. This is kind of a, a the, similar to other roles that you've played. So I'm I'm curious if your time in the core uh, just makes you familiar with these type of roles and and makes it so that you're able to play this type of thing on TV. Or do, is there a connection there for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's, I mean, you you know, you know about military bearing. It's it's uh, they they beat it into you in the Marines or, or whatever branch you serve in, so it comes naturally. Um, and it's not something I have to put on. Uh, so I think when, you know, I mean, if you look at my career, almost, almost every character I've played on television or in a film is carrying a gun. Um, so I think the, that military bearing, being familiar with, 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 uh, the culture, uh, just makes it more natural when I walk into an audition. I don't, I don't feel like I have to put it on. Uh, and, and I, you know, and I certainly don't put a bunch of stank on it, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I was watching your reel this morning where you were playing a police officer and, you know, it's a couple of cops and you're breaking each other's balls. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm sure his time in the military played into this pretty well. <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh that was from power, which, which is uh, one of my favorite roles ever. I really get to, to throw down with, with the other actor and, and um, uh, you know, in that, in that particular situation, I was the local NYPD detective and he's a fed rolling into my crime scene and I don't like that. So uh, that was easy for me, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, raise the hackles a little bit and, and go after him. Um, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, I, I play the reverse side of that situation on SWAT on CBS. Uh, there's an episode, I think it's episode 14 of, of, of this season. It's called The B-Team, and uh, I think it airs February 7th. Anyway, uh, I play a federal agent who's rolling into the local, you know, uh, SWAT headquarters and, and kind of, uh, you know, stirring things up. So I've now I've gotten to play both sides of that equation, and it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see it. This has been a fascinating interview. Uh, if people want to check out your social media on Twitter... It's at M underscore Broderick at that's Michael Broderick on Instagram. Uh, and of course, you're here promoting True Detective. Um, so if you want to shoot out uh, where people could watch or anything else that you're promoting, uh, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, True Detectives currently airing on HBO. Uh, episode f uh, As we record this, episode four just aired. So episode five will air on Sunday and we'll continue uh every Sunday after that until the season's done. Um, uh, you can find me at actor Michael Broderick on Facebook, and that's really the hub of everything, and, and everything kind of spills over from there. But, um, yeah, SWAT on, I believe it's February sec uh, 7th, and uh, what else? Yeah, a couple other things in the work works, but nothing uh, nothing ready to announce yet. Oh, and please do... Please do Thank you. I just do want to give one more shout to uh, to Vets on TV. Uh, if you're interested in, in backing us uh, in the month of February for Run Ranger Run to support Gallant Few, please do so. We could use it, and so could Gallant Few.
actually, or do they have a Twitter account or Instagram? Yeah, it's, it's uh, with that one I got it all the same. Vets on TV across social media. Excellent. I, I think you'll get some support from the listeners of this community. And uh, this has been great. I mean, as Jack said, there's there's guys in the military community who I think aspire to do what you're living. Yeah, yeah. And, and Galleon Few is a well, great cause, too, if people want to get involved. They sure are. And anybody, any veterans or, or guys who are men and women who are getting ready to get out and, and just wouldn't be happy doing anything else and you want to get into the entertainment industry, do visit vmeconnect.org. That's Veterans and Media and Entertainment's website, vmeconnect.org, and uh, sign up and, and uh, see what's going on. There, there might be a local chapter near you. That's great. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate having you on today. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, on, ta- on target and on time, right? Thank you, man. Appreciate Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, fellas. Excellent appearance there from Michael Broderick. Uh, hopefully the audio sounds really clear because he was in a studio in uh, California, for those wondering. And I'm gonna they, they recorded on their end. I'm going to try to layer it together. So if this sounded good, uh, that's thanks to them recording there and me mixing this whole thing together. Um, cool. But yeah, it was cool that we could get him in studio and do that uh, or in studio over there. And hopefully next time we could do something in studio here. I mean, there's plenty of... Uh, acting and roles that go on in new york so i wouldn't be surprised if at some point he's over here just like when we had jeffrey yeah, wright yeah. in the studio yeah for sure jeffrey wright actually i, I don't want to say god offended because it would be a little, like too harsh but but i called him like a hollywood actor and he was like no i think of myself as a new york actor so it's like oh, kind really? of two different <laughs> yeah two different worlds i guess that's cool i, yeah. lo- I love his work I mean, on, on um, Westworld. I, I don't know if Brandon told you when, uh, so we had him on, you weren't here, Brandon was here. Yeah, I wish I could have met him. Yeah, but um, Brandon was on a plane heading to Puerto Rico, and he said on the plane he heard this guy go, Brandon, it was Jeffrey Wright. Oh, no shit. And he was like, yeah, I'm headed to Puerto Rico. I'm going surfing with my son. I know you, you do a little surfing. You want to come out with us? And he got to surf with Jeffrey Wright in, <laughs> in Puerto Rico. That's funny. Yeah. So he was he was definitely a very nice guy. Of course, we got the uh, the blowback from some listeners on Brandon's Instagram that were like, "Brandon, this guy's a communist. Why would you have him on?" Because he's a big like you know Hillary supporter, never. Oh, Trump dude, guy. I was at a uh, like a rally um, for the Syrian Kurds, this defend uh, Rojava rally oh, yeah, in Union Square, yeah. where uh, Gloria Steinem was a speaker. What what was it like? Because you didn't get to get like video footage or anything. I, I mean, like I there. took a few pictures. I mean, I wasn't there for Gloria Steinem. I was there because it was uh, to support the Kurds. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it was a small group. I mean, I, I wish they could have rallied more people together. Yeah. Um, but Gloria Steinem just came out and talked a little bit about. I don't know what she was really referring to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure she knows that much about Syria, but I mean, I, I suppose her heart was in the right place, and. Um, it was basically, you know, talking about women's rights and how the Kurds have made these like amazing advancements with women's rights in the Middle East. Um, and uh, and of course, they would like the United States to stick around a little bit longer until the situation stabilizes because they don't want to get invaded by the Turks like Afrin already did. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. But anyway, I, I wrote an ar- a, a, a short article about going to that rally. Um, I think it's called... Um, while America mo- mo- uh, while America moves on, the Kurdish struggle in Syria continues. Something mm. like that went out uh, yesterday. Yeah, so go to the newsrep.com. I'm going to have to shoot a text over to Michael Schlitz and say we had your buddy on because uh, 
We haven't had him on in a while, but yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that the connection was there. I just randomly brought up Michael because he's who I think of when I think of Gallant View. And mm-hmm. we're actually really Run Ranger Run and Carl Monger. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that I know involved in all that. Yeah. Yeah, we should have both of those guys, both Carl and Michael, on again uh, sometime in the near future. Yeah, I w- I'll definitely reach out to them. I mean, we recently did an episode on, uh, you know, not to bring the mood down here, but the veteran suicide stuff with Alex. And mm-hmm. Alex also, I saw, wrote um, just this past week that Marine Corps suicides are at an all-time high right now. It's shitty. Yeah. It's really, really, you know, we haven't figured out how to grapple with it exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely a problem that needs to be addressed. And I saw Alex wrote a pretty passionate tweet in response to something um, Donald Trump said the other week about, you know, how great the military is doing and veterans. And, you know, Alex was like, before you, um, you know, start boasting about all this stuff, like, let's address the issue of military suicide. You know, I have guys that I know dying every few months and something needs to be done about this. It's nuts. You know, I want to um, I know I've talked about this before. Um, but I went to a memorial for a former teammate of mine who, uh, committed suicide. And while I was there, I met this other gentleman also in the military who was my friends, my teammates, best man at his wedding and a pallbearer at his funeral. Mm. And, uh, and that gentleman died unexpectedly about a year later. I I don't know the story behind it. That's why I'm not going to say his name here, but, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it just keeps happening and happening. I, I really do respect the fact there's guys like Carl Monger out there who say, give me a call if you're in that place. Um, yeah. You know, we need to have those types of people. Um, yeah, it, it's something that we talk about on this show a lot because it's, a, it's an important issue and uh, there are no easy solutions, but that's why I like to have people on, uh, like how we had Peter Gidry on talking about the Kratom thing, whether you're pro or con. I, I want to hear about other alternatives out there that the news media is not really talking about yeah man there are no easy answers you know it's like i've said in the past i mean if you're hurting out there um you need to go and seek some kind of treatment like that's the real solution to it yeah um you know and in the civilian world you need to fight just as hard as you did while you were in the military for uh, in this case you know you need to fight for your own life yeah um and your own future uh, you need to create a, a life for yourself outside the military, and that's just as difficult as going through ranger school. Sometimes, in some ways, it's more difficult. <laughs> yeah, and I would say read pieces like Michael Schlitz, Mike Schlitz's that he wrote for, um, if I remember correctly, Ranger Up. He wrote a piece about his experience going through these surgeries. I'm halfway through uh, Carmen Gentile's book, and he talks about in uh, New York just at, you know, at one point saying, I wish this guy would have fucking killed me. And, you know, he went through a lot of crap, too. Not not a veteran, but experienced worse than a lot of veterans. And I, I'm loving this book so far. I know I'm taking my time with it. I just haven't had time to, like, read as much as usual. But um, this is – I have to – you know, I keep plugging the book, I feel like, every few episodes. But it's a brutally honest book. I mean, he talks about cheating on his fiance, his fiance cheating on him, and and oh I feel God. I feel like he could have just written a book about look at how awesome yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I I escaped death and had this great recovery, and like no, he's talking and about the opioids. This, here's this great healing story, you know. Yeah, he's positive ta- thinking. <laughs> he's talking about the opioids and all that, and you know, 
uh, his, like I said, his fiance at the time writing him an email, you know, I've been cheating on you with some other guy and you're a scumbag, (laughs) you know, him (laughs) cheating on her right after seeing her after the injury and kind of making excuses in his head of like, oh, well, I'm on all this medication. If there's any time I'm allowed to do something like this, it's now. And then kind of saying like, look, I'm, I'm a scumbag. There's no, there's no hiding the fact that I just cheated on my fiance. Yeah. You know, those like uplifting, empowering stories were kind of force fed all the time. They don't really do anything for me personally because it's like real life, real life is painful. Well, like it's very painful and you have to, you know, it, pulling yourself through it is painful. I've actually never heard this quote before uh, reading this book, but you, I think you would love this quote and I totally agree with this. This is the, what he starts the book with, this very short but profound quote from George Orwell autobiography is only to be trusted when it reveals something disgraceful. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, I mean, I've had this experience, you know, writing my own book recently and, you know, it definitely talks about the highs and the lows and it's not all flag waving or depicting my, certainly not depicting myself as some sort of captain America. Um, and you know, when I wrote that book, I thought about that. Like I want, this to be a book that people can actually like learn something from, especially somebody who was in my shoes when I was like 18 years old and I was going to about to join the military. Like I wanted it to be a book that it's not just about me waving the flag and talking about how great I am, but it's something like you can read about the mistakes I made and be like, Whoa, okay. That's what I want to avoid. Um, so that the book actually has some content and it's actually has something meaningful Yeah. because if you just talk about how awesome you are and you're just, I mean, well, first off, you're just looking in the mirror, jerking yourself (laughs) off. Uh, but beyond that, there's, there's nothing, there's no takeaways from the book. Like you're not actually learning anything. So what's the fucking point? Yeah. You know, other other than like a masturbatory fucking <laughs> fantasy of yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm very leery of those types of books. Um on the other hand, there's there's people who probably reveal too much and they regret it. Um sure. Recent sure. recent story I heard, you know, not related to anyone on, on this show or special ops, but I did read Rex Brown from Pantera's book, and throughout the book he talks about like what a scumbag uh, Phil Anselmo was at times and what a dirtbag um, Vinnie Paul was at times. And from what I've heard him giving interviews, he was on Jamie Josta from Hate, Hate Breeds podcast. And Jamie hinted at that he feels like he almost regrets writing parts of that in the book. You know, and now Vinnie Paul is gone and that book is going to be in print for, yeah, you know, yeah. forever for people to hear your dislike for the guy. And I'm sure I'm sure there were, you know, great times that he didn't put in there. And I thought about that very carefully when I was writing the book because the book, it it is a memoir and yeah, it is kind of like a douchey story you're writing about yourself. I mean, or it feels that way in in a sense. And I thought about that very carefully because it's like, I have this opportunity. I don't really want to use it to like just drop dime on like teammates or friends of mine. Um, you know, especially like if you tell an embarrassing story about like a friend of yours, like you went out and got drunk, you know, when you were young soldiers, as we tend to do, and you write, you write about that. Um, that is the one public depiction of that guy Yeah, is him drunk off his ass doing something totally stupid, doing naked cannonballs into a, a public swimming pool or what, whatever it was. And uh, banging a hooker, I'm sure if it's uh, overseas it, somewhere. Yeah, I mean, who, it, all kinds of craziness. That that's the sole public. That's the sole public depiction of that person. Um, that will come to um, 
encompass or represent that person's entire life. Uh, when they, maybe they had a 20 year military career of honorable service, but this one little event is what will come to define their service publicly. And, and I didn't want to do that. So, um, I try to limit the embarrassing stories more to myself. Yeah, yeah. And if I feel that the story is, is some, there, there's some sort of like narrative lesson or there's something that has to be told, um, that I can't gloss over. Um, I, I, typically don't name the person um i i would feel much more comfortable revealing um embarrassing aspects of myself than of other people because also yeah. you, you never know what the future holds i've uh, you know what's crazy I, this has happened to me once before i got a phone call from a kid who used to like give me crap in high school i i had not had contact for this person for years got a call from out of the blue i have no idea why i mean i could speculate on it but he was just like, hey, hey, man, sorry for, you know, not being a good person back then. And oh, I'm wow. at a better time in my life. And it makes you wonder, like, I don't know, maybe they went through AA or something like that. Maybe this is part it's of like, like ha- what is it? Happy Gilmore? Yes. No, no. But Billy Madison. Billy, Billy Madison, where he's like, he calls him up and apologizes to him. And it's, uh, oh, what's the actor's name? Oh, uh, you're Steve Buscemi? Steve Buscemi, yeah. And he, he reaches over and he crosses the guy's name <laughs> yep. off his list and then puts his lipstick on. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it might be something like that. But so I would, I would feel pretty terrible about myself if I wrote something bad about someone who, who wasn't nice to me, but maybe years down the line you meet up with them. I mean, there's been plenty of times I've met yeah, up with yeah. kids I didn't like at high school. I see them at a bar and they're a great person now, different time in their life. And they're like, you know? are you going to use that opportunity to just like, as some sort of like childish revenge because somebody aggrieved you when you guys were like 14. Like, yeah, nah, there, there's like, I don't know. There, there, I think when you write a book, you know, whatever kind of book you're writing, you, you want to have some more important lessons or some, some more meaningful narrative in it than, you know, this guy stole my Nintendo cards on the <laughs> bus when I was in first grade, which happened to me, but you know, and I still remember that, Yeah. but I mean, there's gotta be some better like life lessons, uh, or, or some better, more meaningful stories to tell when you, when you write a memoir than, than that kind of thing. Is there anyone you reached out to like, Hey, I'm going to talk about this. You have, you have a problem with it. There were a number of people, um, former teammates who I reached out to and I, I sent excerpts from the book about specific things that happened on deployments. Um, so guys who I served in Ranger Battalion with, um, some guys who were on my ODA and I sent them excerpts from the book, but mostly not because I was really asking them for permission. Um, I I was asking them for permission to use their name if they wanted to be in the book and ask if they wanted to or not. Um, and I think all of them said, um, you know, go ahead, do it, do what you want. And, and I, I think I just refer to them all by their first names in the book. Um, but more, I was sending it to them because I wanted to make sure that I was being factually accurate. Yeah, that's like, important. It, am I, like, am I remembering this totally wrong? You know, of course, there's going to be different perspectives, but are my facts just completely wrong here? And so I sent them. I sent excerpts of the book off to a lot, uh, not a lot, but you know, maybe a dozen or ten different people. Um, just to make sure that I wasn't remembering things completely wrong. And um, to my surprise, actually, I, I mean, when you tell someone you're writing a book about this stuff, you would understand that they'd be get, get very nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found all of them to be completely, like, helpful, like, am willing to add additional information um, or further elaborate or contextualize something for me. Um, and all of them were kind of like... 
dude, it's your book. Write it from your perspective. Tell it like it is. And, you know, it seems like they, they all kind of had the perspective of, you know, let history be the judge. And, I, I mean, I really admire all of them for that. That's awesome. I Well, I have the advanced copy. I will get to it. Um, once I finish Carmen's book, which I'm enjoying, definitely recommend. Um, with that, be sure to check out Crate Club. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. Uh, all these guys from the site who are former special operations veterans and other veterans are really working hard on putting together 100% custom-made gear for us, everything from sunglass cases to EDC bags and other manly products. So currently, I mean, the, the switch this year and, and recently has been it's not all tactical stuff. I mean, we do have – it's funny. You have the beanie in here for, like, the warm weather. A lot of, a lot of outdoors equipment. Yeah, yeah, a lot of outdoors equipment and just cool gear and, and that type of stuff. So it, it's not as much um, tactical stuff. There's Some of that is in there. Medical kits, things for, like, vehicle recovery. For sure. But there, like, you know, there's also the occasional T-shirt, the occasional hat and stuff like that that people enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, flashlights for your keychain that are very powerful. Uh, you can check that all out at crateclub.us. Once again, that's crateclub.us. And also the Spec Ops channel. People ask me very often, um, where is this inside the team room and that inside the team room? Because they're not all on YouTube. Um, we have some of them on the podcast, the special operations um inside the team room podcast which hasn't been updated in a while i mean we haven't shot anything new um this year or anything but all of that all that great content is available at the spec ops channel uh including training cell that you're not going to find anywhere else it follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country everything from shooting schools defensive driving jungle and winter warfare climbing and a whole lot more and you can watch that content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. The newest thing that we have going on is the News Rep Financial Report, exclusive information that you can act on today to secure a brighter future for tomorrow. If you listen back to our episodes with uh, Joseph Lefebvre or with Stavros, they get into the specifics a little bit more. But what this is, is you can discover new investment strategies in the defense sector. Defense industry stocks can be a lucrative investment if you buy at the right time. Our team of foreign policy, security, and military experts provide real-time intelligence for stocks based on global trends that affect financial markets in the national defense industry. By subscribing now, you'll get exclusive access to our industry expertise. The NewsRep Financial Newsletter Advantage includes our team, which offers unmatched defense industry familiarity and expertise, unbiased knowledge of geopolitical trends, and full access to NewsRep's foreign policy, security, and financial intelligence platform, as well as access to our team of experts and analysts. So just go to the FinRep tab at the top of the NewsRep.com to sign up. That's the FinRep tab on the NewsRep.com. Uh, and I guess that wraps it up for this episode. If, uh, you, if you know you don't feel fulfilled and want to listen to even more, I would say go back on SoftRepRadio.com and listen to 192 with Roger Stone because right now is an interesting time. There's especially those people out there, uh, believe it or not, who are like, I have never heard the name Roger Stone until this week. Understandable because, I mean, I turned on the news I rarely watch TV. I don't even have cable anymore. 
but I, I turned on just regular network news at home while Roger Stone was arrested that morning. And, you know, like it was every channel. They interrupted <laughs> The Price is Right to show you Roger Stone being arrested and, wow. you know, the courtroom and, and, you know, him coming out with the V for victory. We should be so lucky that, you know, they interrupt The Price is Right for your arrest. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. That, I mean, that rarely happens, right? This Roger Stone. That's like, for, that's like 9-11, you know, they yeah. interrupt the, you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, Steve Harvey here, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I mean, it could just be my perspective perspective, but I feel like it's hard to say that it's not political. I, I feel like this has to do with, with some people with taking down Trump and incrementally one by one, look at all these connections and putting it in your face. Well, of that, course there are politics involved. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Putting that corruption stuff out there. Uh, and uh, the, the other, you know, big piece of news that's, uh, it's going to get even more intense or the Insane amount of uh, Democrats announcing their uh, run for the presidency. Oh yeah, in it's, it's ramping up. You got Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, uh, Hillary Clinton, possibly. Fuck my life. <laughs> I mean, she just she just isn't going to quit until go, she becomes the president. Go away, just go away. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren, of course, and then the other guy that you have uh, as the independent is the CEO of uh, Starbucks. Would, I Howard, saw that. Howard Schultz is that, is that the name? I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. Let me make sure I have that right. And Trump got all scared and sent out some tweets about it of Starbucks CEO. Yeah, yeah. Saying like he doesn't have the guts. Uh, so he's yeah. The the current CEO is Kevin Johnson. The the former CEO who's running is Howard Schultz. Believe it or not, I'm going to go back to my Twitter feed and say uh, some listeners were not happy at me about me with this. Some were uh, that I do have to say, given credit where credit is due, I don't normally agree with Bill Maher, but I agree with what Bill Maher wrote here. He wrote, really, the coffee guy wants to be president just because you had one profitable insight. People will overpay for coffee doesn't mean you can run the world. Government is a different animal. Can we please get a pro in there? I certainly agree, and although, honestly, I very well may vote for Trump just because I don't like the alternative so much, I'm not happy with this new um, Trump effect or whatever you want to call it of putting people completely unqualified into office and, you know, writing that uh, one of our listeners was tweeting at me, you know, well, Barack Obama started that trend, and I, I do have to disagree in that, yes, Barack Obama was far less qualified than previous presidents, but he served in state government. Yeah. He served for a very short time in, you know, U.S. government, government. Uh, as a one-term, you know, senator, and I'm aware he voted president most of the, those times, but to me, it would be a very different ball game if uh, Trump held some position prior to being president. It's like, that's why I say you can't, the people who were like, well, Ronald Reagan was an actor. Yeah. Ronald Reagan did a lot though, before he became president. There's this underlying attitude that, or this, this narrative that gets sold to us that like being a business CEO or running a business has some correlation to running the United States fucking government. And it doesn't, I mean, they're two wildly different animals. The United States government doesn't run on a profit incentive. You're dealing with public goods. You're dealing with indivisible assets. Uh, it's just totally different than the private sector. But people keep talking to us and telling us that government should run like a business. And like It can't run like a business. And if you say it should run like a business, I think you fundamentally don't understand what our government is. <laughs> and, and personally, I actually would like to see more veterans and business owners in government, yeah, but, I, but yeah. I don't. I don't think you go from 
even though this is what happened, I don't think you should go from business owner to president. Go from business owner to congressman to, to go- senator. To governor. Yeah. And, to, and, yeah. and then work your way up. I, I have I think that that's the way to do it. I mean, uh, for example, I, I really do not like the man, but uh, our, our former um, – Mayor Michael Bloomberg, I do think is qualified in, in going from business owner to mayor. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he wants to run, I would never say he's he's not qualified. If Trump went from CEO to mayor or something, I would feel very different. But then again, I don't think New York would have elected Donald Trump for anything. No, so. New Yorkers never would have elected Trump for anything because we we knew him too well. We knew the guy was full <laughs> of shit decades ago. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and New Yorkers are just used to seeing his face and everywhere it's and every building. Funny though, if you talk to people who are not from New York, they think Donald Trump changed the skyline of New York City. Like they seriously think that. It's like, what? Like this guy was a minor player at best in New York City real estate. I mean, he has he built one building, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't know. It's just. There's other buildings, all you know, like, uh, for example, though, Fred Trump, you know, my mom grew up in Trump Village. There's all that stuff in Brooklyn. There's this there's some stuff in Queens. But I, I know what you mean. You know, it, it's not like Trump owned the World Trade Center or something. Yeah. I mean, in in conversations about New York City real estate, like Donald Trump is not a player like he his name doesn't even come up. And Michael Bloomberg is who B- Bloomberg is, but he's way below the radar. Oh, speaking of Bloomberg, I, I can I you know what I'm going to play something I, I thought was funny for you guys. Uh, this go back to Twitter here. Sorry that I keep referring to Twitter here, but it is what it is. Um, I thought this was funny if I could find it. So I don't know if you saw Dan Crenshaw, who speaks great Spanish, put out this address. Oh, really? I didn't know he was a Spanish speaker. And he sounds great. Definitely fluid. Me enguriese acompañar al presidente Trump en escuchar sus plegarias por una Venezuela democrática y en su apoyo al presidente de la Asamblea Nacional de Venezuela. So anyway, you get the idea. He he sounds like, honestly, he could be Spanish. He yeah, yeah. Very well. No, good for him. So, it's, imp- it's important when you're a politician in Texas, too. I agree. And and so I was comparing that to you. Do you remember this, Michael Bloomberg? <laughs> Uh, we'll take some questions, but first let me just try to summarize for our Spanish-speaking audience. Los vehículos que fueron abandonados en la calle durante la tormenta nos han dificultado la limpieza. Pero like, I, I, at that point, just please sounds, get someone who's fluent. He sounds like a, a New York bistro <laughs> deli owner or something trying to speak in Spanish when the construction workers come to order, you know, a fucking falafel or something. Yeah, I, I don't think that. It earns you any, you know, points with the Latinos to go out there. Like, I think he would have been better off having a member of his administration who speaks fluent Spanish. It's like yeah. when I try to speak uh, Italian, I sound like uh, Brad Pitt in <laughs> what's that movie where uh, no. uh, Inglorious Bastards? Oh, yeah. Where he's there, like, he's like, they're pretending to be Italians and infiltrate this like Nazi uh, ball. And he's like, Erviarci. Like, that's how <laughs> I do I, remember that. Yeah. That's, that's how I movie. sound when I try to speak Italian. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that uh, that about sums it up. Anything from you? Or? No, no. I, I, that's it. Um, well, I am. I did work on a update to a previous uh, story I wrote. Um, you know, I wrote about a year ago a story called Dick Pick Six, which was about <laughs> a bunch of drama unfolding in Seventh Special Forces Group, kind of a sexual blackmail network that ensnared a bunch of high-ranking officers and NCOs, and uh, the. Army Times just did a follow-up to it yesterday, 
And they got um, the uh, seventh group secretary who is involved in a lot of it. Um, they got her on the record. I reached out to her. She didn't want to talk to me at the time, which you know is her decision, of course. And uh, but she spoke to the Army Times. So um, I went back and I kind of did like an update to the article um, that I had written a year ago, including some of the new information from the Army Times and some other information that I've been given and uh, provided over the last uh, year or so. Um, so that article will probably be up by the time people hear this podcast. Excellent. Um, and then next episode, as promised, we will get a SHOT Show recap from uh, Loadout writer Jens. I'm trying to think of what Jens writes under. He has a weird name that he writes under on the website. But uh, he'll be on to talk about that. And cool. then a friend of yours, Douglas. Doug, yeah. Doug is a uh, former PJ, and now he, um, uh, he he will tell us in depth what he does. Um, but he's like highly qualified with like all the sports physiology and all that kind of stuff. Um, great. And uh, his company is called Resilient, um, and he, he will tell us all about it for sure. And he'll be in studio with us. Yeah, which is great. He's great he, because we don't have a lot of PJs on. We've had mm-hmm. on. BK, of course. I think he's still banned on Twitter. Um, <laughs> no, no, he's back. He's back. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. so BK. <laughs> who else have we had on? We've had a we've had a handful of Air Force guys. I mean, uh, Doug Raritan uh, is former mm-hmm. uh, Air Force. Mike Lampy is former Air Force. Yeah. Uh, well, D- Doug is like super PT stud. Um, I met him when we were both going to Columbia. Uh, so yeah, he'll be a great guest. But he's not a part of the woke vets of Columbia. No, he's a, he's a very reasonable young man, um, <laughs> and I'm sure he will. We can discuss some of that. All right, awesome. Thanks for checking out as always, guys, and uh, we'll be back with another episode going up on Friday. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.